0: But today, uh, let's open the scriptures together to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. We've been doing a series here called Rebuilding the Real You. And with that, I want to talk to you today about our new church name. And it's not Hope, by the way. I'm going to change our church's name. Not exactly, but but I am going to give us a a new secret name. The elders are panicking. Um, I'm going to give us maybe a new code name, maybe even a little secret handshake to go along with it. Um, But I, I want to dive into Nehemiah again. And one of my hopes in this study has been to awaken a heroic heart on the inside of us. The study of Nehemiah is the study of how Nehemiah helped the Jewish exiles rebuild the broken down walls of their city. And any work of rebuilding requires a heroic heart. It it takes a measure of heroism to stand in a broken place and envision a restored place. It it takes a a, a heroic heart and, and a firm Purpose And resolve to hold a pair of burned out bricks and figure out how do I start rebuilding with these things at our men's camp in my session yesterday. I talked about a terrible resolve. I showed the scene from the Pearl Harbor movie where the Japanese generals began to lament what they had done in attacking Pearl Harbor. And in the film, they said, I fear that all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill it with a terrible resolve. Uh, The work of rebuilding, whether it's a broken down city wall or a community or a relationship or a life, requires a terrible resolve, a heroic heart. And I think Nehemiah embodied that. In fact, if they were to make a movie about Nehemiah's story, they would have to get I think, a young Clint Eastwood to play Nehemiah. Or, or maybe, uh, to go a little more modern day, the, maybe the actor that plays Spencer Dutton in 1923. I, th- I think he might be able to pull the role off. But Nehemiah had a little swagger to him. There, there was something about him. It wasn't an attitude. It was a confidence and a, and a terrible resolve. He said things like, I am carrying on a great project Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? He said that to his critics and adversaries. And at one point when they were trying to lure him into a trap, he said, should a man like me run away? And he wasn't being arrogant when he said that. He was determined. He was resolved that something good is going to happen here. Something is going to be rebuilt. And so one of my hopes in this study is that some of that swagger would kind of soak down into our soul and there would be that purpose and resolve and determination. I am going to change some things and I am going to rebuild the things that need to be rebuilt. I don't have to make peace with dysfunction. I don't have to settle for the status quo for another decade. Something in my life can change. But but today, my goal is not to just pour gasoline on that inspiration. My my goal today isn't just to pump us up or inspire us. What I would like to try and do for a few minutes today is to move us a little deeper into the healing side of the rebuilding process. And I I want us to look at a couple of the gates that Nehemiah rehung in this process because I know that you came to church today hoping that we would talk about some gates that Nehemiah rebuilt in 444 BC because who doesn't come to church thinking, oh boy, I hope we talk about these ancient gates that were burned a thousand million years ago. It's actually an amazing story because some of these gates that Nehemiah rehung tell the story of some of the most vulnerable moments in our lives. And we all have them. Church is an interesting place. Anytime you get more than a couple people together, you have people who are on the, the heights and people who are in the depths. And then you have people everywhere in between. In Psalm 31, it says, if I make my, my, my home in the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. So I realize today that we have people all over the place in terms of how great life is or how miserable life is, but we have all had moments when the walls closed in on us. We've all had moments when the path veered left and there was no GPS to guide us. And and you know what? You don't have to be old to experience that. Children and young people can live through difficult things. You can be in junior high or high school and be facing a terrible need for rebuilding in an area of your life. Sometimes those moments are our fault. Sometimes we do things that blow up parts of our lives. And sometimes it has nothing to do with us. Sometimes our life just disintegrated and, and we just watched it happen. We had nothing to do with it. And sometimes, of course, it's a little combination of both. But But whether... Whether it's our fault or someone else's fault or a combination, um, we all have moments in our story where the way ahead is blocked and we can go no further. And that happened to Nehemiah in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well. The jackal well was also called the serpent's well. And the dung gate. I was examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and I re-entered through the valley gate. When Nehemiah assessed the damage that had been done to the city, he came to a place where he got stuck. He couldn't go Further And for us, it usually happens around the same place where it happened with him. It usually happens around the valley gate. The valley gate represented what was undoubtedly one of the lowest, most horrifying, awful parts of Israel's history. The valley gate led to the valley of Hinnom. And the valley of Hinnom was also called the valley of Gehenna. Some of you might be familiar with that word, Gehenna. And the Canaanite people who lived in that part of the world before it became the promised land and Israel um, dispossessed those peoples, the Canaanites living in that place um, did some awful things in the valley. In the valley of Hinnom, they actually engaged in practices of child sacrifice, the Valley of Henom became known as the Valley of Flames or the Valley of Fire because of child sacrifice that was conducted in the city, the valley. And when Israel came in and replaced the Canaanites who were there and moved into their promised place there, they actually had moments in history when they repeated some of those practices. There were actually moments where there were some of God's people engaged in child sacrifice as well. It, th- th- there was no worse, lower, uh, more tragic moment in their history. In fact, when, um, when those deeds were repented of and renounced and all of that was stopped, it was still known as the valley of fire or flames because that valley had been repurposed as the city dump. That's where all the trash was taken and that's where all of the trash was burned. It was a sad, embarrassing, regretful, painful place. Where does the valley gate lead in your life? And what is that lowest of all places for you? Now, fortunately, we're not all stuck there. God is really good at getting people unstuck. I heard somebody say once that God is the tow truck for the broken down. And it's cheesy, but it's true. And I'm so glad I'm not stuck in the Valley of Hinnom like I used to be. Uh, But we've all been stuck there. And and even if we're not stuck there today, probably everybody in the room um, is still occasionally haunted by the memories of that place or the collateral damage from that place. It, It can look like a lot of different things for us. I mean, for some people, it can look like deep insecurities that keep undermining significant relationships. It can look like secret addictions that keep clobbering us, you know, unwanted urges or desires. It, it can look like intimacy issues that are frustrating and, and discouraging. Um, it, it can be problems with the truth. You, you know, sometimes in our stories, we do things to survive, and even if they're not the best thing in the world, they kind of keep us alive for a while. I mean, there are people who kind of had to lie to survive a part of their story. And, and, yet, and yet, they're not in that part of the story anymore, but they're still lying. Sometimes the things that we felt like we had to do to make it through a moment don't serve us anymore. Some, some people have problems with lying, have problems with the truth. Um, maybe someone was betrayed. And, and even though you have either been forgiven or you've extended forgiveness, there, there's still a haunting from the damage that happens in the Valley of Hinnom. Um, Maybe you're here today, and you didn't do anything wrong in your story. All the stuff that's been difficult was outside your control, and yet you're the one with a permanent address in the Valley of Gehenna. Uh, Sometimes there there could even be people in a setting like this, and you, you look amazing, and you're here because you're faithful, But none of us know that you're actually having an implosion in your faith. And you're hanging by a thread. And you're here, but you're wondering if all this stuff is even real. Um, you, You need to know something about the valley gate. The valley gate faced due west where the sun sets. If you were to stand in the valley gate in ancient Israel... In the center of the place that leads to the lowest, worst, most tragic part of Israel's story, if you were to stand there at dusk, you would have an unbroken view of the sunset, our daily symbol of closure. When the Holy Spirit sets out to restore our soul, he begins with the valley gate. He goes to the lowest most embarrassing place of our lives, and God brings closure there. Um, Some people think that the valley gate is symbolic of hell because in the New Testament, Gehenna is used to describe hell. And what is the first thing that Jesus does when a person responds to him and surrenders their life to him? The first thing Jesus does, at least what the scriptures tell us, is he brings closure on hell. Hell. And I don't mean that just in the eternal security sense. Heaven and hell don't begin when we die. People are experiencing realities of heaven and hell today in this life. Jesus brings closure on hell. And I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 13, for a second. There's a fascinating observation about the Valley Gate that will introduce us here to our new name. The Valley Gate faced due west. Unbroken view of the sunset, the daily symbol of closure, which is what God wants to bring to the worst, lowest parts of our lives. But, but there's something else that, that is significant about this. Chapter 3, verse 13 says, The valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it, and they put its doors with their bolts and bars in place, They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The guy who was tasked with rebuilding the valley gate was a man named Hanan. Hanan means to stoop or to bend with kindness. Isn't that beautiful? The man that Nehemiah entrusted with the sensitivity of the valley was a man who was quick to bend in kindness. His name wasn't aloof. His name didn't mean indifferent or hard to relate to or holier than thou. His name meant to be, to be quick to bend or stoop or come down to someone else's level. Um, and the people who helped Hanan rebuild were the inhabitants of Zenoa. Zenoa means rejected. It means pushed aside and about to fall. See, I I just mentioned a list of some pretty sensitive stuff that could be in a person's life. There's some sensitive things that people carry around with them. Um, How should we respond to that stuff? Hainan's name is so beautiful. Stoops with kindness to my level. How should we handle the valleys in people's lives? How should we handle the content that's there with little old-fashioned Bible thumping, little dash of hellfire and brimstone, a little dash of superiority? Um, how do we handle the vulnerability? Listen, sin... Being isolated from God is strangling our world today. Sin is destroying humans. Of course, we have to speak to that. Of course, we have to help people discover truth for their lives. But what should our posture be as we do? You know, Jesus said that until we know the truth, we can't be set free. So, what should our posture be as we help people? Discover truth. I think we should stoop. I think we should bend. I think we should kneel as worshipers and servants and people who, who have compassion. I, I think we should, we should treat people like inhabitants of Zenoa, who know what it's like to experience rejection or failure. I, I think we speak as if our name was Hanan, and I think we minister kindness and humility and love See, one one of our dreams here at Hope is to be a church that heals. But we will never be a healing church unless we're a safe church. And you can't be a safe church unless we're willing to be Hanan, One of my best friends and mentors wrote a six-word memoir of his life. So he described his entire life. He's in his 70s. He described his entire life in six words. Needed, found, became, a safe place. I, I think in this era of human history, in this moment of the Christian story in our country and in our world, I think the relevance for our world is when a church looks like Hanan. When a church is willing to stoop or bend in kindness, never letting go of truth and things that set people free, but ministering those in ways that are sensitivity, sensitive to the realities of of the valley. See, in in this story, I've told you that Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit. The name Nehemiah means the consolation or the comfort of Yah, God. And the Holy Spirit is the one that surveys our lives and leads us into truth and deals with broken down places. I also think in this story that Hanan is a type of Christ because Jesus stooped to our level The whole gospel story that Karina was talking about, the gospel that we're trying to project to the world is the message of Jesus Christ stooping to our level and bringing heaven to earth and life to death and healing to brokenness. Um, Jesus stooped to our level and found us to lead us home. So, So the first place he goes is the valley gate where the sun sets. And where people named kindness and stooping and bending and understanding rejection, where those people go to work. The next place that Nehemiah went was the serpent's well. Chapter 2, verse 13, he said, By night I went through the valley gate toward the serpent's well, or the jackal well. Um, Scholars think that this well was probably named kind of in the same way that folk names get given to um, geographic sites today. You know, Native American peoples or settlers or explorers might have seen a, something that they named the Devil's Peak or the Snake River. And a lot of times they did that for um, aesthetics. It looked like something or the river wound around like a snake. Sometimes it was practical. It, uh, we, we don't know if this is true, but, but a lot of scholars think that this well was named the Serpent's Well... Because a person, a man or a woman, was looking for water in a well and they encountered a coiled serpent there. Very practically, we named it the serpent well because that's where we saw the serpent. We haven't seen any serpents on this property this last year, which is awesome. I saw two rattlesnakes a year ago, but we haven't seen any this this year, which is great. But they think that that it was either a serpent or a jackal or some kind of beast was, was lying in wait. So I went to get a drink and instead I found a battle. I was trying to quench my thirst, but I had to kill the serpent first. The snake was killed. The thirst was quenched. New life was received, but it had to be contended for. When the Holy Spirit puts our lives back together, we we have to to have a terrible purpose, terrible resolve, that I will face what stands in the way of life. So on the one hand, you have this mentality of a Hanan that is kindness and gentleness and stooping to reach out. On the other hand, you have that Nehemiah resolve and purpose. And let me just show you what this um, often looks like in our lives, the actual rebuilding. Can you go quickly to Deuteronomy chapter seven? Nehemiah faced a serpent. The people had to deal with a jackal or a wild beast that was in the way of life. Moses tells us a little bit about this dynamic in Deuteronomy seven. Uh, This is a really important discipleship concept. Um, Remember with me that the book of Deuteronomy is simply Moses retelling Israel's story. So the whole book of Nehemiah is one giant speech. Israel's done with the wilderness wanderings. They're standing on the edge of the promised land, and Moses just retells the story. That's all that Deuteronomy is. And all of the events of Israel's experience in the wilderness have um, correlation to our experience as people of faith. Uh, Being enslaved in Egypt is a metaphor for being enslaved to sin and our bondage in our lives. Passing through the Red Sea is symbolic of the waters of baptism, where we find new life in Jesus. Wandering in the wilderness is the season of God um, encountering people, testing people, dealing with their hearts, calling them to be who they're created to be, and then here in Deuteronomy 7, as they move into promise, this is what Moses says is going to happen. Verse 17. You may say to yourselves, These nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Verse 22. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once, or the wild animals will multiply around you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. God will give you victory. He will rebuild the broken down places. You can count on it. Moses is saying, I promise you, but I'm also reminding you, you will have to contend for it. You will need a terrible resolve and it might unfold incrementally in steps. See, we never pray for the step. At least I've never heard anybody pray for the step. We pray for the finished product. We pray for the miracle. We pray for the promised land. We don't pray for the step and then the step after that. But often, the way the Spirit works in our lives is step-by-step, moment-by-moment. Sometimes restoration takes a while, which is why you need a little swagger, and you need a determination, and you need to hold on to that promise. But listen, God's delays are not denial. The slowness of the process doesn't mean the process isn't happening. God wants to teach us to walk, not just cause us to walk. And the reason is because there's more to be gained by walking with God than simply getting a miracle from God. I want the miracle, but there are other treasures that are only gained by walking step-by-step, little-by-little, moment-by-moment, incrementally with him. And then listen, there is more going on behind the scenes than we realize. In fact, if you, if you think about Scripture, there's a lot that happens in the dark, Creation sprang to life out of the chaos and the darkness of Genesis chapter 1. New life uh, is formed in the dark. Think about a baby or a seed in the ground. Jacob wrestled all night long and got a name change when he fought with the angel. Um, Gideon's great battle that led to victory happened at night. The cross was covered in darkness even though it was the middle of the day. Paul and Silas worshipped at midnight until the echoes of their praise triggered an earthquake that broke open the jail cells around them. There's a lot going on in the dark. Sometimes there are serpents that need to be overcome. Sometimes they get chopped down in one fell swoop and I'll thank God for those moments. Sometimes it's a little by little, step by step journey. And, and, And let me just show you one more gate that ties into the step-by-step part, because this will kind of complete the idea of of how the Spirit brings closure in these areas. Um, After passing through the valley gate and the serpent's well, he went to a really fun one called the dung gate, or your translation might say the refuse gate. The refuse gate was very similar to the valley gate in that it was also an entryway to the Valley of Hinnom. The difference is that the Valley Gate was the main entry point to the city dump. If you had to drop something off, you went to the Valley, of, the Valley Gate to get to Gehenna. The, the Dung Gate, though, really only exported one thing. And it had a very specific purpose. Any guesses as to what that would be? Um, the Dung Gate was part of the sewer system for the city. And the dung gate was where human waste was carried into the valley to be burned on a daily basis. So the symbolism. The sun has set over the valley gate. God has brought closure to the painful, regrettable, traumatic parts of our lives. We need to walk out that victory on a daily basis And on a daily basis, take one step after another. So in the big picture, the sun has set and I am free. Thank you, Jesus. On a daily basis, I'm going to step into this freedom with a terrible resolve and a determination to be free. I'm going to practice walking with God and every single day offload my issues to be carried into the valley so I can receive his grace and remember who I really am. I am no longer my sin, and neither are you. Because on a hill called Calvary, Jesus Christ, our Hanan, embraced the refuse of the sins of the world, and then he did an Olympic-level swan dive into the valley of Gehenna and left that stuff there. In the big picture of our life, the sun has set, freedom is available. And for any person who will walk in step with Jesus, he will lead us into ongoing and increasing levels of freedom. So here's the bottom line. We're a Hanan church. So that's our new secret name. We stoop, we bend, we worship. I was telling the guys yesterday that there's some some people you don't want to mess with. That there's some people, if you knock them down, all they do is find the feet of Jesus and worship even more. You you drop that person to their knees, all they do is just worship. You you knock somebody down, all they do is find somebody's feet to wash. The the more you hit a person like Job, the more they worship. The the more you drive some people down, the more they they emerge with new life coursing through them. Listen, that's our church. I want to be a Hanan church. I want God to trust us. See, I'm not going to take just anybody into the valley with me. I have some embarrassing things in the valley. I'm not gonna just give anybody a tour of that, but but I will take Hanan there. I will take the guy who's willing to stoop in kindness. That's a safe person to bring into the recesses of our story and the inner workings of our story. Um, Let's be a Hanan church. We're not afraid of the valley. We're not afraid of the serpent. We're not afraid of the refuse gate. We're willing to embrace and engage with those things and be part of God's answer for the world. Um, We enjoy the sunsets over the valley gate. I'm I'm just telling you who you are and who we are. In fact, sometimes we even take selfies there. Here's here's, here's a picture of what we look like. Sometimes we take selfies as the sun is setting over the valley gate and we even set those pictures as the wallpaper for our home screen. I wanna be that comfortable with reality and actual issues. We're not a religious uptight church that's out of touch with what's actually happening in people's lives and the realities of our world. Jesus is the total answer for the total need of humanity. There's not one thing in our world or our culture that Jesus doesn't have grace and hope and life and a word for. I wanna be involved in those things. Jesus, thank you for being Hanan. Thank you for climbing on the cross, embracing the weight of the sins of the world and thank you for not being afraid of our valleys or the scriptures tell us that you literally descended into the grave you literally descended deeper than the grave into hell you literally have plunged the depths of human need and came back full of life with life to share with the world or the story is so unbelievable It's so crazy and it is everything that our soul is craving. So today, would you, first of all, let us touch that redemption, let us touch that hope, let us touch that that life and make us a church that can export that to the world around us. And Lord, I pray for any person who, they've been taking steps, but it just feels like it's never ending. I do pray that you would kill the serpent. And I pray that you would bring a gigantic step forward and they would look back and realize they have come so far. Lord, let every single one of us today leave feeling more closure, more hope, more passion to extend compassion to our world. Lord, you have been good and you are good and we need to see the goodness of God. And we humbly ask you, Lord, for the honor of exporting that to people around us. In Jesus' name.